Thank you very much. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Daniel Rosenthal. Welcome to the Olivier for this evening's platform with Adrian Noble about his production of The Captain of Kerpenick. So the first question, Adrian, other than the memories of, of, of Schofield, is when you first came across the play, and if you were to perhaps sum it up for somebody who doesn't know it well, just do that for us and, and why it's such a, a good play to, to revive. Well, I, I'd forgotten about it, in fact. I, I did see it when I was, a, I was, I must have been a teenager, I think, and, and I, I, all I remember is it was, it was very funny. Um, I'm blessed with 2020 amnesia, so I, 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 <laughs> I, I can't remember anything. Um, I'll, obviously, I'll try and remember things for, 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 for this occasion. But I'd, I'd forgotten it until Nick Heitner rang me up and said, do I want to do um, the Captain of Kerpenick with, with Tony Sherp, with whom I have a long and... Um, a very fruitful relationship. Um, so I said, let me have a look. I said, my memories are good of it, but, um, and then they sent me the literal translation, which was a very good literal translation, very accurate lit literal tra translation, but really put me off. It was sort of, whew. I was in Vienna, actually, I was directing in Vienna, and it, it, it was full, it, it felt sausage and heavy and <laughs> all, all things not good. Germanic, not good. Uh, then they sent me the, um, the John Mortimer version, translation version, whatever you like to call it, which, which, which was um, lovely. And, and, um, and, and John was wonderful at the kind of um, the dice and slice of class relationships. And so he got all that absolutely off for a tea, off, off to a tea. Um, and then somebody here, I think in the literary department actually, came, came upon the idea of asking Ron Hutchinson to do it, which I thought was a ins really inspired idea. I knew Ron a bit from the RSC, where, and he, he did some stuff for us in the, in the 80s before he was seduced to Los Angeles, um, where he's become a very successful movie writer. And, 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 and he seemed to be really, really the ticket. Why? Because he has, and this will sort of lead on to the second half of your question, really. I mean, he has a, a wicked sense of humor. Um, and and, and he, he, he can handle complexity with, with, with ease and, uh, and, and, and very good jokes. And I think and, and there is a, there's a real complexity ab about the piece. Written in 1929, 1930, just after uh, he'd written, um, not Ron Hutchison, obviously, written, written the, um, the Blue Angel, but looking back to the time before the First War, um, when militarism had seized Germany, when Germany had emerged as a, as a, a rampantly successful um, nation in the European family of nations. Um, and he was looking forward to what he saw on the street around him at the in the early 30s, the late 20s, the early 30s. Um, Goebbels' remark, for example, when he saw this play um, in Berlin, um, was a very interesting first scene in the prison. That's a clue for those of you who haven't seen it yet. Very interesting first scene in the prison, Mr. Zuckmeyer. I expect you'll be seeing the interior of one yourself very soon. <laughs> um, but like most smart writers and artists, he got out um, and ended up in, in, in America, which, which offered a haven for all, all of these people. So what, what Ron brought out of the play, it's... It's quite a savage version, and it is a version. Um, 
in many respects, it's a new play. Um, it's savage because it's, it's, um, um, it takes on board the, the, the blind militarism and blind pursuit of, of bureaucracy. Um, and, and, and as, as does Zuckmeyer, it, it takes those, those aspects on board and um, makes them hilarious and rather shocking, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and he seemed to be the right creature for, for, for this material. We may come back to this, this notion of, of, of versions and the Mortimer version and the, mm. and the Ron Hutchinson one. In broad strokes, a Financial Times critic reviewing the 1971 production called it a huge theatrical comic strip, and Zuckmeyer himself called it a fairy tale. And having seen the production, I'm not sure. I mean, would you, how would you go along with that? Between fairy tale and comic strip, are those fair labels? Well, I think, I think what he meant by, because I was rather, um, I, was, I was briefly um, uh, thrown off course by reading that remark about, about the fairy tale. I thought, oh, oh God, I got this completely wrong. And then I read the context of his statement. And I think what he meant by it was, 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 was twofold. Firstly, that, um, in, the in the creation of Feucht, if I've I hope I've said that correctly, I hope my German is reasonable. In the creation of Feucht, he's created an archetypical um, German character that kind of em emerges from the woodwork of German culture and kind of seizes the imagination, but also because, as he says in the play, actually, um, fairy tales ultimately deal with, with good and evil. And ultimately, this play deals with, with, with good, and, good and evil. It's, there's, a, there's a morality which underpins the play. And, and in a way, it's old-fashioned, actually, because, because um, Ron wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, he, he's, he's pretty clear about who's good and who's evil. There's, there's, he doesn't mince, a, doesn't, doesn't mince matters over those, those important the, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he is judgmental, absolutely no question at all about that. Um, and I think perhaps people would find that, some people might find that um, wrong. Okay. Let's come back to this notion of version, translation, adaptation. And in a sense, I think I'm going to briefly play devil's advocate because the John Mortimer version uh, from 1971 is there. Just a couple of years ago, Richard Eyre revived John Mortimer's version of Fado's A Flea in Her Ear, which had originally been done for the National Theatre at the Old Vic in 1966. And Adrian, you are very happy, just yourself a couple of years ago, with Hedda Gabler to use a translation by Michael Mayer, written decades earlier. So, on that basis, when has a version passed its sell-by date? Are there, are there general points to be made, or is it a very specific script-by-script -script basis? Well, um, I think they're slightly too... They, they are really app apples and oranges to, 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 a, to a degree, I think. Um, with this play, we decided we would do a version. And it's originally, it's a three-act version. It's very long. We wanted to do a two-act version, which means that there are whole... Um, there are... Um, character lines that have just dis that have just gone. I mean, rather brilliantly, Ron has Ron has sort of filleted them out. Like like you, you can hardly see the imprint of the skeleton anymore. He's rather brilliantly taken them out. With Ibsen, one is dealing with um, I'm anyway when I, when I do them as much as possible the tr trying to create the experience that Ibsen had 
in his mind, Ibsen, in my view, was a great revolutionary. And um, I knew Michael very well. And I've done four, four Ibsens, or I've always used Michael's versions, actually. And on each, each occasion, I've, I've used exactly the same methodology, which is that I get one or two of the actors who are going to... It was Cheryl Campbell, then Ray Fiennes when we did Brown. We just get a few actors around, and we do a blind tasting. It may sound terrible. I'm sure if there are any writers in the room, they'd be horrified by this. But we do a blind tasting. And my assistant would come in, <laughs> would, would, would sort of hand out different versions, and then we'd all say, number, number three, right? <laughs> and on, e on every occasion, Michael won. And it's, it's, I, I'm slightly alarmed by this because I've been asked by the Oxford University Press to, they're, they're doing a new version of all of Ibsen's plays, and they bunged me through a load of them, and rather foolishly, I agreed to read them and, and make comments on on the version, so I'm rather dreading starting, actually, because I don't know what I'm going to find, and then I've got to be nice as well, haven't I, I suppose? And you mentioned that working on the Ron Hutchinson one was almost like working on a new play. A new, new play, you expect successive drafts, characters, uh, storylines yep. to, to change. So can you tell us, rather than giving away what is on the stage yeah. later this evening, what sort of things were, were cut in trimming well, it to the length that you now well, have? Well, the National very helpfully offered us a, a, a workshop, which of course is a word that covers many, <laughs> many sins. Um, I don't do many workshops. Um, and so we hold up myself, Tony um, Bash, the literary manager here, and um, Ron, and the ghost of Carl was somewhere over there as well, very, being very helpful. And we, first of all, had a group of actors. Who, we read the whole thing. And certain things became crystal clear. Um, certain scenes didn't earn their place. But most important of all, a, 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 rather, a rather unexpected through line for, for Tony's character, for Foyt, came through that, that instead of it just being a, 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 a satire on German militarism and, and certain aspects of the German character, it, it became, a, um, with a, it became a, an existential journey. It became a journey of, of somebody trying to find their own identity and to claim their identity when the system in which they were having to live their lives was mashing that out of them and was bleaching it any, 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 any colour of personality out of them. So we found that line and we held on to that line to the very, to, you know, to, to, to this very day. So that was very, very, very important. Um, we found that um, the, 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 the original we, we felt was slightly doubling up on one of the antagonistic roles. In other words, the, the folk that... that, that, that there's, there's a journey of a, without, you know, this is pretty obvious to everybody, but there's a journey of a, of a uniform through the whole thing. And we took out one of, the, um, one of the stops, if you like, on the journey of the uniform down, down the railway line. We took out one of those stops, a whole character and a whole, therefore a whole subplot, which allowed us to do a two-act version and allowed us to... The, if there is a flaw in the play, it's a long time before he gets the kit on, before he gets the uniform on. It takes a hell of a long time. And it was even longer. <laughs> I mean, it was sort of, you were going to hear midnight, what, you know, <laughs> two hours in and not a sign of a plot, you know. Yeah. 
But that's very interesting because having looked at the, at the Mortimer version, what, what Adrian's talking about is that that through line is not there in the same way in the Mortimer version. Foyt comes, he goes, he comes, mm. he goes. You, he might be off stage for 10, 15, 20 minutes, it seems, from having read the Mortimer version. So that is very interesting yes. as, a, as a dramaturgical process to, to, to refine it down. Let's move from text to, to design because uh, there are some great director-designer partnerships that have worked in this building. Peter Hall and John Berry, Richard Eyre and John Gunter, and Adrian over the years, you've worked with Anthony Ward so many times. Just a few of the examples, Midsummer Night's Dream, Cymbeline, Twelfth Night, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, King Lear. It is a much longer list than that. So can you characterize for us why that relationship has worked so long and so well? Gosh, what a very difficult question to answer. Um, we like each other's company enormously because you have to, you spend a lot of time with a designer if you're a director, a lot of time. Um, hours and hours and hours and hours of time with a designer. And if you don't really like each other's company, I imagine it would be rather difficult. We like each other's company enormously. Um, so that's, that's, that's a big plus. Um, and he's, he has this ability to, 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 to constantly surprise me. So I thought that would be, that would be kind of really interesting. Um, and we knew for both of us it would be kind of quite a big journey because this is a, it's a beast of a, of, of a stage. It's a big stage and it has, it has a lot of kit. And um, it's quite a hard auditorium, I think, anyway. As a, this, is, this is a customer rather than, I, I don't work here, but it's a hard auditorium to animate. Um, big theatres are difficult to animate. I mean, I, I mean, when I ran the Royal Shakespeare Company, there was a queue of directors to work in the Swan and the other place, round the block, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And it was a very short queue to work in the main house because this is where you get found out. I mean, bluntly, I mean, if you want to make a great career as a director, don't go on big stages, I promise. Don't do it. Stay in the little ones and you'll, you'll be a huge hit. Triumph. Anyway. Um, so he had the, you know, we'd done a lot of big stuff here and, and around the world as well in opera and stuff like that. And he had the intellectual capacity to animate this space. And we kind of, we, we wanted to go, he was a good person to go on a journey with. And for us the journey was, because the interesting thing about pl the, the play is that, is that he's looking at pre-First War militarism through the prism of post-war Germany. And that, that, means, that, that means politically a, a time of, of, of the kind of um, chaos of the kind of, 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 the, of, the, of the failed revolutions following the First War, the kind of um, the incompetence and corruption of the Weimar Republic, the rise of fascism, the appalling economic situation they were all in, but also it was the center of the world in terms of art. It was the, one of the most exciting places to be in terms of painting, in terms of theater, in terms of cinema. And so that was a basket of goodies we wanted to kind of um, plunge, our, plunge our hands into. I think that the, the, the design question leads into um, a technical preparation uh, question in terms of there are always negotiations between visiting directors and artistic directors about how much uh, time you've got for technical rehearsals, what are known as the dark nights in the theatre when an audience doesn't come in in the evening, and then the number of, of previews. And I wondered here whether it's a long time now since you left 
being artistic director of the RSC, but whether there's still an element of gamekeeper turned poacher here when you go to an artistic director and you're negotiating about how much time, because I imagine a director and designer, always, you always want more time, but there are budgetary constraints. So how does a conversation like that work with a, a show of this scale in terms of we would like X number of dark nights, yeah. X number of previews? Well, there wasn't a conversation. Um, I mean, I, I, I can honestly say that everybody here was extraordinarily helpful and really went out of their way to be supportive. So there was really no problem. And they said what they thought the technical time should be for the show. And so I said, yeah, okay. I thought it was tight and I told them I thought it was tight. Um, the problem being that there are a lot of scenes and the scenes require a specificity of location. Ron asked for that. He also, perhaps coming from LA, he, he sometimes writes scenes um, from multiple perspectives. So you'll have four lines of a scene and then he'll have a cutaway to, they're literally cutaways, which if you're, if you're, cut, if you're, if you're editing, there's no problem at all. But if you've got this, uh, I mean, and included it is a scene that I call the unstageable scene because it is un virtually unstageable. When I was at drama school, my, my, our mentor gave us Act Two of The Marriage of Figaro as the, as the scene to solve, right? If you solve that scene, Act Two, of, which is the Countess's bedroom, for those of you who know, and if you can solve that scene with all the doors and the comings going, then you can direct, then you can block and stage, right? I will now give <laughs> Act One, Scene Seven of The Captain of Kerpenick for people <laughs> to, to solve. How are you going to stage that? So it's all, it's all difficult, but the, the, so, so the kind of, the, the, it was tight, it was tight. And of course, this is, a, this is a bit of a temperamental, I'm pointing to the drum revolve, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. This is a bit of a temperamental, it's old kit, that's the honest truth. I don't think anybody here would pretend it's not. Yeah. It's old kit, and I think technology and science has moved on a bit. At a very, very nitty-gritty practical level, how far can you simulate in the rehearsal room the working conditions once you know the drum revolve is going to be involved, whether that's blocking, whether that's yeah. timing of scene changes and crossing, etc. Well, in the rehearsal room, there is a revolve. So you can practice the timing of the revolve and they can give you, they being the production manager and the stage manager, etc., give you pretty accurate timings on how long it'll take to do a revolve, a drop, take some scenery off, put other scenery on and bring it back up again. Um, they, can, they can be quite accurate about that. The problem we have, because indeed we lost a preview, the problem we had is what they couldn't tell us is weight. How, how much weight can be on, a, on this piece of kit when it comes up and down? They didn't know that. So that led to considerable problems during the technical rehearsals. Let's move back to, uh, to the actors and to casting. And you had a very long relationship with uh, Anthony Ward as designer. You've had a 30-year relationship with uh, Anthony Scher as, a, as an actor. Uh, Adrian cast Anthony Scher as the fool to Michael Gambon's Lear 30-some years ago. We have the opportunity to follow an actor's career from, from the stores or, or the circle and see their performances. But can, again, can you characterize over that period, whether through particular performances of Anthony Scher, you know, how different an actor is he from 1982? Is he the same actor but with different layers? How can you characterize I think he, I think he's the same actor with different, different layers. I mean, I love Tony and I love his work and I think he has a, he has such courage. 
and you know, there's always there's there's, there's in, in my own work there's always been a, a kind of a slightly wild side, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, and if there's a kind of a dodgy, a dangerous horse in the in, in in the in the kind of in the stable, he'll be oh let's get on <laughs> let's just jump on that horse there that looks a bit so he's he's always willing to go on the um, the, the 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 riskier paths so that's that's very attractive about him he has a um, he's for this play I mean he he actually wrote it in 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 a in a, in a card he wrote to me he, um, what what I thought. The, the best way of working on this play was to work initially on quite broad brush strokes and then to add a lot of detail and, and he is an artist and he, he appreciated that methodology um, but but he has a um, what, what, what he brings to this as well though he, ha he, he brings a great humanity because I think it's quite easy for this part to lo lose its lose its humanity for him to be a kind of a, a funny guy with the, the other casting, I was very struck in looking down the cast list at, at how many of the actors in this company had done many, many shows for the RSC. And I'm interested in whether that's just the nature of the beast, that good actors who work here will have done lots of shows for the RSC, or whether the casting was coloured by your having worked with them before on shows or seen them in RSC shows when you were running that company. Um, partly. I mean, again, I was very very well supported here by the by by Wendy and a, and a terrific department up upstairs I mean re really really good um, the 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 play requ the play has lots of rather meaty um, but short character parts and over the years you sort of build up a kind of a group of people you that, that, that you think would be rather good for those parts and so indeed I did bring quite a few of them in. Most of them, by the way, have worked here as well, so it wasn't the case. Of, but also, I brought three people from The Tempest. I did The Tempest in Bath this last summer, and I brought three people from that, um, who I liked very much. Um, so I, you kind of tend to bring groups of people from different, from different places, because there isn't a company here. I don't think there is, anyway. There isn't a company yeah. as such, so, so um, I think that, that disappeared about 20-odd years ago. So um, you can kind of bring in people for... I think they're like a bit of overlap because it saves money. A couple of questions about the, the, the rehearsal. With a, with a play like this that is rooted in history, how much are you just saying we play the play and how much are you attempting to give that historical context or offer research materials to the actors if they want to? Yeah, but bo both. I mean, you obviously, you're, you're playing the play, but that's coloured by... by I mean, the, the thing is, it's, it's a 20th century play, which means that there's masses of material, visual material to look at, both photographic, but also in terms of art, the, what was going on. The great, you know, it was a great age. Berlin in the 1920s was a great age for caricaturists and for cartoonists. I mean, one of the Gerl fantastic stuff, wonderful one. Herzfeld, or Hartfield, and he became when he, when he got out. Um, a whole number of extraordinary artists, which of course is, is kind of interesting because, because Tony has that, Tony Scher has that great skill as well. And in, in seeing the play, what struck me was that there's almost um, a miniature genre of 
the story of, of someone passing themselves off as someone else. It's there in The Government Inspector, it's there in the film Paper Mask. I've seen reviews of this new American TV series called Suits, in which a completely unqualified college dropout convinces everybody that he's a high-powered lawyer. And in the rehearsal room, were there discussions around that, not whether it's other plays and films, or just did you ask actors to sort of talk about what that what that means, or is it just no, not right? really. No, I mean we were. Con I was particularly conscious of the, in a way, the debt that Zuckmeyer owed to to the government inspector, um, but not not really because it's a real guy. Um, Willem Voigt was a real was a real person, and 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 there are there's a lot of fo photographs of him um, bec because he did what he does in the play, and then he was pardoned by the Kaiser. And then he went and worked in fairgrounds and sold postcards of himself. And indeed came to London, I think. Um, and was there are photographs of him not, not three or four hundred yards from where you're sitting now. Did you ever wonder what would, what would an epilogue to the play have been like, a void a few years later? It's an we well, it's a very interesting thought, isn't it? As long as he doesn't become a doctor, I don't mind. <laughs> Final question for Adrian before we open it up uh, to you, ladies and gentlemen, which is if we had seen the first or second uh, of the previews and we were coming now, what do you think we would notice, whether it's speed, it's cuts, it's texture? Can you, can you describe how a production has evolved by a point in the run such as this? Yeah, well, it would be, it's about 12 minutes shorter for a start, but the main difference um, is that, it's, it's a, how do I put it, ownership. Um, when, a, when a company first go on, onto a stage, especially a, bit, a stage that does a lot of things like this, it's very easy for um, the actors or the singers to be um, at the mercy of the beast. Um, and during the previews, one tries to own, if you like, repossess re-own the play, because you own it in the rehearsal room. The actors own it in the rehearsal room. And then when they come up here, they, it, can, it can easily get lost. But, 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 but it's been, it's repossessed during. And also you have, you, you, there, there are great moments in the, in, in the creation of plays when, you see, the progress of a production doesn't, doesn't go like that. It's, it's, it's not an even thing. It, 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 there, there, are, there are clear moments of, of when the molecules reproduce at an extraordinarily quick rate. One is the first read-through, when it goes and suddenly you find out all sorts of things, and you suddenly say to the writer, oh my god, let's do that. The second moment is the first run-through, down in the rehearsal, or wherever it is, in the rehearsal room here, when you realize, oh my god, it's too long, or, or oh, we lost, we lost sight of that character, or that's totally wrong. Second moment. And the third great moment is the first preview. The first time is exposed to an audience. Because th it's, it's when you guys come that we learn, I anyway, learn what the play is and what you have to do. So after the first preview, I, I always have a great hunk of work that has to be done during the next four, five, three, four, five days. Um, because it is such a beast, such a complex technical show, uh, we need to let stage management get ready for half past seven. So our thanks to you, ladies and gentlemen, and our thanks to Adrian Noble.